artificial intelligence was a terrible name for what it is uh, because it's not it's algorithms it's it's about like learning and um, I feel like a data scientist a lot of the time needs to be able to say no yeah. <laughs> let's not do this uh, this is a bad idea or let's go back to the drawing board or let me help you go back to the drawing board and figure out a different path Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Data Scientist Show. Today, we have a very special guest, Matt Kurt. Matt is my mentor. We met at a hackathon in Seattle where he was an advisor of my team. Matt, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, thank, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, it's, it's really great to be here. Um, I So uh, my name is Matt, uh, and I've been... Um, Really, my, my career has gone through many different variations. Uh, so I started my career as a financial quant, uh, working with you know hedge funds and mutual funds and and kind of this you know statistical analysis. And then I became a software engineer, and then the the last iteration of me is a data scientist. Uh, and so I, I work for a startup called uh, Zeitworks now uh, mm -hmm. as a senior data scientist. Uh, but I've had many different roles from C level to uh, founder to um, yeah, lots of different things along the way. Uh, so I've many different versions of Matt, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. So today I'm very excited to uh, talk about your career journey, your advice to data scientists, and I will dive deep into a few very cool machine learning models Matt built. So let's start with your career. Can you share what happened in 2008? Yeah, uh, so I started my career uh, as a financial quant. Um, so I went to school at UW um, and I studied economics and uh, mathematics uh, in my undergrad. And um, after I graduated from college, I was like, wow, I, I need to figure out what I'm gonna do with my life. Um, I think as everybody kind of does after they graduate college. Yeah. And I thought, well, okay, I, I know mathematics and I know economics, so I'm gonna go get a job in finance because that makes the most sense, right? Um, and so I actually got a job uh, working for a company who was owned by Eaton Vance and now they're part of like Morgan Stanley. Uh, so very much kind of the New York like, um, you know, mutual fund stuff. And uh, I was doing basically what people would call quantitative research, uh, you know, research analysis, um, taking, you know, stocks and trying to figure out like how to make rich people richer, you know, that's kind <laughs> yeah. of, that's kind of the thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, 2008 was also a special year because it was uh, the middle of a financial recession. Yeah. Um, in 2009, uh, right around my birthday, actually, uh, I think it was like two days before I, um, before my birthday, um, you know, I, I got called into an office and it was basically like, yeah, we're making cutbacks, uh, and you're mm -hmm. one of them. Um, and it was, it was tough. Um, I think right out of school, you know, I figured, well, I'm doing all the right things. Um, you know, I, I got a job, I, you know, I, I'm working really hard. I'm working extra hours. Um, I'm really putting in a lot of effort and, uh, to be called into, to an office and basically be like, you know, Hey, like, uh, you're not going to come in tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, it was tough. I think it's interesting because, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty cool and collected person, but I was not cool and collected then. Uh, I think it was one of those times of like, wow, like, uh, I don't know what to do. <laughs> um, and it really led uh, down an interesting, th there's like the silver lining of all of mm. this, of um, I, I had a mortgage <laughs> and, um, you know, I was doing all the, all the things that I, I thought that I should be doing. 
Um, and I spent about six months looking for my next job because uh, yeah. I was I was very junior. Uh, I didn't really have a lot of experience, uh, and I was focused on uh, finance, being in finance. Um, and let's see, it was around like August or September of 2009. Uh, a friend actually asked me, he's like, hey, you know, um, we're working on a website and we need somebody to help us raise a PHP code. Uh, and I said, Oh, okay, sure. I can help with that because I, I just been a computer nerd my entire life. Yeah. Uh, and that's what led me down a path of always taking on new opportunities. So, uh, I became a software engineer, mm. uh, for, for a company in, in Seattle, uh, called wet paint, which is no longer around, but like, kind of like, um, BuzzFeed before BuzzFeed, uh, so very uh, gossipy. Um, and then um, while I was working at Wet Paint, they're just like, "Oh, you know mathematics? Like, can you help us uh, classify what Facebook post is going to be more successful or not?" Mm -hmm. uh, which which got me into machine learning in like about two thousand nine ish. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it honestly like a lot of my career has been almost by accident, um, mm -hmm. and and it's it's like the the market is giving me opportunities and I'm just going for them. Um, but, but yeah, it was, uh, being laid off your first job really sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, it kind of, for a few years I was pretty jaded and pretty, pretty angry about that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, but it really opened me up to a lot more, um, it, just being open to, to whatever happens yeah. and, and, and just being kind of, uh, open to the, to the good and the bad. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, thanks for sharing that. And uh, um, we'll definitely talk more about your shift of mindset later. Yeah. So you got into data science and machine learning because as an engineer, you got into this um, classification problem. So how did you um, learn machine learning while you're working on it? I would say that I've taken the very... Um, the slow path of learning machine learning. Um, and, and when I say slow, I would say that a lot of it has come through experience. Mm -hmm. uh, so so I, I, people will give me a problem that I can't solve with regular code. Uh, and then that led me down to, you know, originally it was like, oh, I'm gonna learn about support vector machines or like, you know, K-nearest neighbors or kind of basic machine learning models. Mm -hmm. um, and, I just kind of keep like learning just a little bit each time I do a project. Yeah. Um, and um, I would say that like, you know, originally it was, it was just very much like, well, we can't do this with code. So I have to learn some new models. Um, yeah. And luckily, you know, I studied mathematics in, in college. So I, I mean, you know, learning about stochastic calculus or, you know, optimization or mm -hmm. any of those things, like I, I could kind of pull from all of that. Um, but yeah, it's it's been very much a, I'm kind of like making the path as I go along. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not like there's a lot there. Uh, there wasn't a lot there at the time. I, mm -hmm. I would say that now, like, uh, probably don't do that. Like, there's so many great resources. Mm -hmm. um, but, but at the time, it was very much like, um, it was almost very academic. So I was trying to turn that into something um, that I could deliver, so. Yeah. And uh, for people who want to get into machine learning, what, what's your suggestion? Because there are so many resources out there. Yeah, um, that's a great question. Uh, I would say that um, 
there's kind of two different methods. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's the, there's the, it, it's kind of like this old saying of you have fast, uh, cheap and good, right? Uh, and pick two. So one method is you go to school at a really good school and you learn from people who know what they're doing. Um, I think that's fine. Uh, it can be kind of expensive, uh, you know, to go to schools like Stanford or Berkeley or, or whatnot. Um, I think that there's also really good, like, you know, um, online courses as well uh the the problem with that is that like it's it depends it depends on what you're going for mm-hmm. um i would say that it, it it really uh comes down to getting experience um and what that can be anything it's just like picking a project and and seeing it through to the end is really the best way to learn this stuff mm-hmm. um yeah because they think that um from what i've seen like a lot of people will We'll get these kind of toy data sets like mm-hmm. iris or yeah. uh, the adult data set mm-hmm. and and it's almost better to just say you know at if you, if you work at a, at a at a company or maybe you work uh, maybe you go into school um you can build your own data sets yeah. and and do some analysis on your own um mm-hmm. it doesn't have to all be from you know uc irvine <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's the, the grad school i went to <laughs> i know yeah that's why i said it um yeah. yeah they're famous for like all these cool data sets but um I think that's that's a really big thing is just like you know you can go find your own data yeah uh, and and it could be anything mm-hmm. i mean it could be you know maybe fantasy football you know i mean yeah. it doesn't really matter mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh, i agree with that i always suggest uh, start with something you're passionate about and then um, you find your own data because that's a very important part of being a data scientist. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Yeah. Um, so I know you worked on a lot of projects. Can you share one that's most challenging? Yeah, so the, probably the most um, challenging projects that I've worked on are, are kind of um, have a lot more to do with the amount of data. Mm-hmm. So, so what I mean by that is um, the computer vision projects that I've worked on have been really difficult. Um, and, and I think that the reason why is because you're working with massive data sets. Uh, so I worked on a project where we took a lot of photos of, of asphalt. Um, and it basically we were using YOLO, uh, which is just like you only look once, I think is what it stands for. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's an object segmentation like a neural net. But the tough thing about computer vision mm-hmm. is that there's so much data flowing through it that yeah. it becomes a, a big engineering project. So I would say that like that was a really big project um, and it was it was really rewarding mm-hmm. um, and, and challenging, yeah. <laughs> you know, just because of the amount of data floating around because, you know, working with, you know, terabytes of photos, it's just, mm-hmm. it, it, it gets into a whole different world of, you can't just load it all into memory. Yeah. Uh, and I think that, um, you know, a lot of data science and a lot of machine learning is done in a Jupyter notebook, which is mm-hmm. totally fine. But sometimes um, th- the data gets huge. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's really deep. Yeah. So when you have to handle a lot of images, um, how did you solve that problem? Yeah. So so what we ended up doing is is um, I mean we were we were using PyTorch. Mm-hmm. Um, so PyTorch is great. It's I, Facebook is behind it. Um, yeah. And you know a lot a lot of it comes down to uh, dealing with 
I guess people would call them data engineering problems. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's kind of like, how do you load data? Um, and we just built a lot of like, you know, data loader type stuff to, yeah. to basically like deal with, um, you know, the training. Um, and, you know, it was kind of more just, um, we were using Azure, so not uh, not AWS, but like, um, you know, in AWS, you would use uh, EC2 instances mm -hmm. and like kind of spin up a, a cluster and that kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was a lot of it. It was just kind of like the, the model itself is actually pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm. uh, YOLO is, I mean, it's not super straightforward, but it's like the model itself is, is pretty encapsulated. It's almost like getting everything into the model. That's that's a difficult problem. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, were you able to solve it within uh, some pipelines in PyTorch or you have to build something? Um, we had to do a little bit of, well, I mean, we definitely used a lot of what PyTorch has kind of off the shelf. Um, but then there was also some issues of like um, they, the, the client. I mean, I, I did consulting for many, many years. Mm -hmm. um, the client was very concerned with um, security. And so everything was kind of like in these funny uh, areas. Uh, they were very worried about making sure that everything was safe and like secure. So um, we had a couple of extra little things uh, to deal with, but but for the most part, like it was just pretty straightforward PyTorch, like data pipelining type yeah. stuff. Yeah. Cool. And um, what is some something very interesting you worked on that you solved with machine learning? Um, interesting as in like interesting in in the the grand sense, or yeah, like you had most the... fun worked on. <laughs> Um, you know, like I, I worked, uh, another, another client of uh, mine is a UK startup, uh, and they were focused on influencers on Instagram. Mm. And that is a very weird world. Um, <laughs> it, it, like suffice it to say, like, you know, who is more influential on Instagram has a lot to do with how you look. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was an interesting project in that, um, it was kind of like, the people who are really big on Instagram are mm -hmm. like a lot of the time they're like fitness influencers. Yeah. And so, you know, it's kind of like this thing of like, oh, I'm at the gym and I'm doing like squats and deadlifts and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so like, you know, me testing out my, my models and code, it's, I'm ending up looking at Instagram, uh, like fitness influencers yeah. who are like showing off all their, like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, their assets, so to speak. Um, and it's just like, what a weird thing. Um, yeah. But 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 at the same time, like it was it was interesting because mm -hmm. uh, it's it really shows like why. Um, I mean, I just learned a lot about like Instagram and yeah, because I'm I don't use Instagram. Right. I think that's very important. And when we build a model, it's not just someone say, "Hey, you use this data, uh, do some forecasting." You actually need to learn the domain knowledge. Um, you become. A, domain expert yourself so even for matt who doesn't use instagram you have to become an instagram expert and uh, for me i worked on a football project to um, help football coaches improve um, strategy and I, I know nothing about yeah. football so i have to read a book about how to watch football and yeah. i watch my first like football game so I mean, I still have to lean on the domain expert, I yeah. but knowing their vocabulary definitely helps me to communicate with them so I can understand, okay, what are some features I might need to collect? Yeah, yeah. It, that's such a, it's such an important thing um, because I, I've seen this happen where, where data scientists or um, 
you know, very academic minded folk, mm-hmm. like really want to um, live in an ivory tower. And that, that is a, that is a major trap. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's so much better to just listen uh, to whatever the domain is. Um, and so like another, another funny example, uh, the football, I actually worked on football too. Yeah. Uh, at one point, um, NFL is very lucrative, uh, which is, which is interesting, <laughs> but, uh, it, I actually ended up watching, um, it was the bachelor, mm-hmm. um, the show, the bachelor, <laughs> um, because we were trying to, to understand, um, TV mm-hmm. and, and, um, you know, gossip and, and kind of this whole like TMZ, like Buzzfeed stuff. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I don't watch The Bachelor, mm-hmm. but how am I supposed to work on something without putting myself in the, the user's perspective? Yeah. Um, it's so, so, so important because at the end of the day, like machine learning models are just tools. They're, um, they're algorithms and it's really what you do with it and where does it go? Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And uh, um, for the... Uh, influencer uh, project. Can you share more about how you collect the data, what model you use, and how do you evaluate the results? Yeah. Uh, so, so we did a couple of things. Um, <clears throat> let's see. So, I think so. So here, here's here's a very common thing that I've that I've encountered is that first of all, in in the marketplace, there's a lot of mis misunderstanding of what machine learning does. So, yeah. so like a lot of people will be like, "Well, I just want to turn it on," mm-hmm. uh, or "I want to I want to use AI." You know, it's kind of like uh, my 2022 goal is to use AI. Yeah, and it's like, what does that mean? So with with this client uh, who's in the UK, um, they had access to a massive Instagram like fire hose. And fire, what I mean by fire hose is basically just a lot of like Instagram posts, like floating into, um, they're using Mongo and, and stuff like that. But um, then they said like, okay, well, we, we want to find, uh, what are those long tail, um, you know, they were focused on hashtags or like um, entities that are influential. So like, what are those things that we can really mine? Um, and it's interesting because like there's, there's two problems there. One is like, what can you actually influence? Mm. Uh, so what, what hashtag that's really specific can you influence and what can you take over? But then there's also like finding the entities and that's actually a very difficult problem. Uh, cause like, you know, in natural language processing, um, if you talk about like Tesla, what does Tesla mean? Is it, is it a, is it a car or is it the inventor? Mm. Um, you know, and, and, that's a really interesting space. Uh, so a lot of what we did was natural language. So trying to mine all these Instagram posts for like, what are the, the latent or like, what are the, the influential things that somebody can talk about mm. to become more influential? I mean, I mean, that's really the end goal, right? Yeah. Um, the other thing was also a computer vision problem of um, we're trying to understand who's a brand because like, you'll see like Patagonia, um, you know, REI, like all of these like big brands on Instagram and who's actually a person. Um, and that's actually also a difficult problem because like, um, you know, sometimes there'll, there'll be, it's just very different. Um, and doing that at scale, you have to start to dig into these computer vision like models or like deep neural nets. Um, so it, that was, that was a lot of it is just trying to find signal in all of this like data, mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, billions upon billions of um, Instagram posts. It's like, well, what do you do with it? Um, yeah. And and that was a lot of what I did there. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, you mentioned that um, you built some models, and then later on, you want to see oh whether I should use a neural network. So um, I'm curious to see what's your model iteration process like. How do you find a baseline and yeah. then make it complicated? What is your thought process there? Yeah. So I I'm I'm a firm believer in not using neural nets and and deep learning as, <laughs> as much as you can. So pushing it off is is absolutely far as you can. I believe personally in the, uh, there's this, this idea of crawl, walk and run. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the time, if you're very clear as to what the problem is that's trying to be solved, you can come up with a very quick solution just to quickly verify, like, is this even valuable to put money into? Yeah. Uh, because honestly, doing a, a deep, any of the deep neural nets costs a lot of money. Yeah. Um, GPT-3 is an amazing like innovation, but it costs millions upon millions of dollars. So like uh, with, with them, um, it was very much this thing of, you know, first we did very basic statistics of like, well, if we just know the terms that are important, like how influential are they? Um, or like how many, how much reach do they get? You know, basic stuff like that. And then from there it became, uh, well, let's use some natural language processing um, tools, so Spacey. And um, we didn't use Gensum, but uh, we used a, a little bit of Spacey to do some um, tokenization and like fast text to do some like, you know, word embeddings. And then from there it was just like, okay, we need to start to dig into the computer vision. Uh, and yeah, it really is this uh, iterative process and, and a dialogue between uh, the customer and um, the person delivering it. So it's kind of like, you know, I'm I'm trying as a data scientist to deliver a product, but I'm also trying to listen to what the market is telling me at the same time. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes, you know, an Excel spreadsheet is good enough. Yeah. You know, it's just like, it, and if that's good enough, fine. Mm -hmm. I don't need to. I don't need to pull out like you know the state of the art technology. Exactly. Uh, it's just it's a waste of resources to over-engineer something. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And what are some other things that you, when you work with data scientists, um, you see they make mistakes? Um, yeah, uh, one, one thing that I see a lot, there's two things, and it really depends. Uh, so I, I, I've seen this a lot, where uh, data scientists will try and uh, write everything themselves. I've seen this a couple of times where people will write out um, their own algorithms, um, or they'll come up with their own like inventions. Yeah. Because, you know, we're, we're all highly intelligent people and it's <laughs> like, wow, like, you know, I, I can come up with all this cool math and, yeah. and you know, whiteboard and, um, that's a major trap in, in 2021 because you can go to GitHub. You can go to GitHub and type in what you're trying to solve and like nine times out of 10, there's somebody out there who's solved exactly the same problem. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I find that a lot of data scientists will will get trapped in you know kind of this, it's not invented here syndrome of yeah. like, well, I can do it better. And it's like, hmm, uh, be careful with that <laughs> uh, because like, I've fallen into that trap before too, yeah. um, because we we all have egos, and mm -hmm. and and honestly, um, a lot of that ego is healthy. It's like, yeah, people are smart, but but seriously, go to GitHub first. 
uh, or, or go to like, you know, wherever you find, like, you know, uh, go to Tor's data science or any of these like resources, see what everybody else is doing first. Yeah. Um, that's a big one. I, I think the other thing is also like pushing back. <laughs> that's another thing. Mm-hmm. I, I've noticed that like um, sometimes a business type person will be like, well, I just I just want a machine learning model on this. And it's like, well, what do you want a machine learning model to do? Yeah. Like, and, and I think that there's a misunderstanding of what M- ML and AI do of, um, you know, it's intelligence. And it's mm-hmm. like, I think if anything, artificial intelligence was a terrible name for what it is uh, because it's not, it's algorithms. It's, it's about like learning. And um, I feel like a data scientist, a lot of the time needs to be able to say, no, yeah. <laughs> let's not do this. Uh, this is a bad idea. Or let's go back to the drawing board or let me help you go back to the drawing board and figure out a different path. Um, and, and yeah, also like Excel, Excel can do a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I, as much as it pains me to say that, um, a lot of the time you can just deliver an Excel spreadsheet and people will be happy. Yeah. Uh, like seriously, <laughs> start with, start with the stupidest, simplest problem first. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And uh, so I remember you worked on a fraud detection model. Yeah, I did a, a contract uh, again. Like I, so I, I I worked as a consultant for many many years. Um, so it, there's quite a few different companies I worked for. Uh, one of them was uh, Sheer ID, uh, who's a great company who um, does. Uh, verifications. Um, so like if you go to Spotify, I, I saw you had Spotify on your computer mm-hmm. uh, and, and you were like going to school, yeah. um, you can get a discount. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, like I'm, I'm going to UW or I'm going to UC Irvine or something, right? Um, I get a discount. Sheer ID are the people a lot of the time who are actually verifying that you should be able to get the discount. Yeah. Um, here's the thing though, is it's like, A lot of the time it's very simple. It's just like, you know, I'm at school, like I'm going to school, that's in the record. Mm -hmm. That's not a problem. But then there's sometimes where people will use a different name, um, you know, so like uh, this happens a lot where, you know, somebody will pick a different name when they come to the United States because of, you know, English versus another language. Um, you know, there's many different reasons why people use a different name. And so Sheer ID does a lot of verification of like, are you really who you say you are? Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes like there's, there's this document verification process that happens. Um, so basically long story short is that um, with using some pretty, you know, modern ish type stuff. So cat boost, um, basically we were able to figure out like with a fairly high accuracy, like who is fraudulent and who isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause most of the time um, people are following patterns to commit fraud um, it's interesting because, um, in security and, um, you know, fraud and it basically whenever people are trying to get around something, a lot of the time they're using software to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's actually a great example of where machine learning does well. Mm-hmm. Spam is a great example of, yeah. you could find out spam pretty quickly. <laughs> uh, and, and it doesn't even really require super sophisticated models, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, yeah, that I did quite a bit there. Yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, so why you choose to use CatBoost to? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Uh, so CatBoost is kind of my favorite machine learning model because of a couple of reasons. 
so there's there's obviously XG Boost, mm-hmm. uh, Light GBM. Uh, there's there's also another model that I really like from Microsoft, uh, Explainable Boosting Machines. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one's a little bit newer. Cat Boost is from Yandex, I think, which is like the Russian Google, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And the reason I like Cat Boost so much is that it does pretty much what all the other models do. So it does, you know, boosted ensemble learning, which is really the way to solve a lot of these machine learning problems. Yeah. But also it has really nice categorical variable like encoding in it, mm-hmm. which nine times out of 10, when I'm doing a project, there's some version of text in there. There's some categorical variable. And, you know, you can you can do all of this in any model. You can use one hot encoding anywhere. You can yeah. use ordinal encoding anywhere. Um, and, you know, it, basically these are just ways of taking text and turning them into, you know, numbers. Mm-hmm. But Caboose just makes it really easy. Yeah. And, and I like easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's why I really like Caboose. It's also, you know, if, if you do the the meta analysis of going on Kaggle and, and saying, you know, who's winning the competitions, a lot of the time it kind of comes down to XG Boost, Caboose, kind of these boosted learning yeah. models. You know, that's important too. I would also say that the other thing that I really like about Catboost is that they put some effort into explainability. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a that's a big problem with machine learning is that I can build the best model possible. Like let's say I do something in PyTorch or Keras or you know TensorFlow. If I present that to somebody who doesn't know what that is, they're going to ask, "Well, why does it work this way? Yeah. And I won't have an answer. Mm-hmm. So Cat Boost actually gives a lot more like explainability too. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. Um, besides Cat Boost, what are some other models you like? Uh, you know, I, I like Light GBM. Um, so that's, well, I don't even know, what, Gradient Boosted Machine, I'm mm-hmm. assuming. Yeah. That one's really good for embeddability. So I've actually used that model and embedded it into Rust. Mm-hmm. Uh, so using WebAssembly. So that's really good for speed and, and for like portability. So I've used that a couple of times. XGBoost is great too. Um, I, I find that fine. I really like explainable boosting machines, although I don't use it all the time because mm-hmm. it's slow to train. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but for, for some things, it's so cool because you can... Uh, explainable boosting machines is built off of this idea of... Um, additive models Mm -hmm. so you can actually show a graph of how something impacts the model's output uh, which is so great for presentation yeah um of course i use all kinds of i I really use whatever is best for the job Uh, Mm -hmm. you know sometimes i will have to use a transformer model or like you know an lstm or uh, some of these like fine-tuning type you know, you basically take Inception V3 or mobile net or, or whatever and then fine tune it. It just depends on the case. But for, for like traditional machine learning, I kind of go for cat boost and light GBM. Yeah. 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 Um, I think that's what most data scientists use today. Like you mentioned, it really depends on the problem, but yeah. based on what I have seen, a lot of time people just use a, you know, SG boost or CAD boost, let GBM to find a baseline. Mm-hmm. And they, if they need to do something more advanced or um, multi-model solution, they'll add something else. Yep, yeah. yep, yep, yep. Yeah, and that's really what it comes down to is that like, you start with the basics and if that's not good enough, you mm-hmm. just kind of keep going on and on and on. And 
I'm in an interesting space of I work mostly startups, small companies, and consulting. So I don't really get into the super heavy, heavy, like academic models very mm. often because most of the time it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you it's just like, want to solve the problem. Exactly right. Yeah. 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 yeah so you worked a lot with uh, startups. Um, so what is it like to work with startups that you find, you know, maybe it's different from working in a big company? Yeah, you know, this is a really good question. I've been thinking a lot lately about, so I, I actually trained a lot as a musician. I played trombone for, for many years. Wow. I, I was um, in high school, I was, I was number two, not number one, <laughs> uh, but number two in yeah. the state. Uh, so I was, I was fairly good, good at, at trombone. Um, and so I got to play with, you know, trios, and orchestras, mm. uh, and and they're very different. It's one of these things of, and and I've I've noticed this with with companies too. Startups are very different than big companies. So the biggest company I've ever worked with was uh, the finance company, which was you know thousands of people um, across many continents, kind of a thing. It's very very different. Um, generally speaking, they're both fine. And uh, what, what the difference is, is that it's specialization more than anything else. At a startup, you're kind of expected to do 15 jobs. And for somebody like me, I love that. I love to be able to learn new things. And also with startups, a lot of the infrastructure and the thought hasn't been there already. So it's kind of like I have to come in and start doing the thinking and, and the, the pioneering, mm. so to speak. And that's what's really interesting is, is that like at a startup, you can kind of take the lead without it turning into political uh, backlash. Yeah. So you're not going to really ruffle anybody's feathers at a startup mm -hmm. by taking the lead. Right. If anything, people are, will love it. They'll be like, great. I'm glad you're taking the lead on mm -hmm. this. At a, at a bigger company, that really doesn't work. Um, there's definitely more um, politics and and. I think politics kind of get a bad rap. Uh, people kind of say, you know, <laughs> like, I hate politics. You yeah. know, it's like, I don't want to play this political game. I think that politics are kind of everywhere. Yeah. Uh, you know, realistically, like, you have to, at a big company, get buy-in from much more people than just yourself. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the work at a bigger company involves more meetings and more making sure that you have the right people agreeing with it. Um, yeah. You know, so at a, at a bigger organization, I find that understanding who the economic buyer is in mm. every room is so important. Yeah. And, and, a, and a quick way of figuring that out is, is figuring out who, who all the conversation is going towards. Mm. It's not always the person who has the biggest title. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's the person in the back of the room who is saying nothing. Yeah. And then everybody looks at and <laughs> says, hey, uh, is this okay? Yeah. Uh, always pay attention to them mm -hmm. and make sure that they're buying into things. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that it just becomes very different. The one thing that I will also say is that like, uh, I feel like at big organizations, you can kind of like, be a little bit more, um, you're more protected. So, so, so you don't have to always be firing on all cylinders, but occasionally people will notice. So, so what I mean by that is it's kind of, it's kind of like in a, in an orchestra where like, um, you'll be, you'll be playing music and like as a trombone player, I would like not play at all. Mm -hmm. Like I'd play for like two notes in, in a piece in, in a, in a symphony orchestra, but those two notes, 
had to be perfect. Yeah. And and I think that's very uh, par for the course in big organizations. It's mm-hmm. like, you might not have to be firing on, you know, 110% every day, but the one day that your boss is looking at you, you must be like working correctly. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's, I, I think it's, it's, it's is different. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, they're, they're very different. Um, but I find that like, I learn more, more about politics at a bigger organization. Yeah. Uh, at smaller companies, it, you know, startups kind of focus more on individual contribution more mm-hmm. than anything else. Um, and, and I think they're both important. It's, yeah. it, you know, you have to be able to deliver, but then also you kind of have to play the influence and politics game too. Yeah. So, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. And for data scientists working at a startup, what what kind of skill set do you think they need more than working in a big company? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I would say that at a small startup, uh, data scientists will. There's kind of two paths that data scientists can go down. Uh, mm-hmm. So I've I've taken. Well, I'll, I'll say that in a second. Uh, there's two paths. So like there's uh, I like this distinction of data scientists there's type a and type b data scientists so type a is kind of the analysis like analyst type stuff so Mm -hmm. if you're going to be an analyst um a lot of it is dealing with customers getting buy-in um you know getting some domain expertise like understanding the domain um some of its sales a lot of it is sales especially at a startup of like you know you get on a call with, with a new client and, and you explain the model to them. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the type A data scientist. Uh, the type B is the builder. And that's really more of what I am is I'm, I'm a more of a builder than an analyst. Yeah. And those are really kind of the software engineers um, who take the model and then turn it into code that can be deployed mm-hmm. and scaled and all of that stuff. Um, it really depends on, on what somebody likes to do. Um, that's what's so cool about startups for me is that I can kind of make my own path and, yeah. and figure it out as I go. Mm-hmm. So. And also you work with different companies, so you learn about different industries. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, like some yeah. project got you into watching Bachelor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's true. Yeah, I've, I've, I've been exposed to some interesting projects. Uh, I worked a, with a... Um, pharmaceutical company which which got me really into the whole like i learned a lot more about the opioid crisis from their point of view uh which (laughs) which was just like very Mm eye-opening um so yeah it's if you like a lot of exposure and and to learn a lot like startups are awesome yeah or you can work for a organization or like be a data science consultant yep yeah yeah Um, definitely so i know you also worked a lot on churn reduction Mm -hmm. Uh, can you share some project you worked on? Yeah, uh, so I uh, worked quite a few years uh, with a with a company called ClickFunnels, uh, which is a which is a landing page company, mm-hmm. um, and they're highly successful. and And you can uh, Google them. Um, and every so they're a, a bit a very successful SaaS company, so software as a service. And here's the thing about software as a service is that unlike what it used to be in the past where you just bought like a license to something like people want to pay every month. Um, and the issue with that is that you have this revolving door of people coming in, but then also people going out. And the, the thing is, is that like churn is kind of the, 
it's the dark horse of like every SaaS company. Every SaaS company has this problem of mm -hmm. churn because you know somebody will get really excited about a new uh, software, they'll sign up, they'll put their credit card in, and then a month later they'll be like, why did I buy this? And a lot of what I did with ClickFunnels was trying to get really clear as to what is leading to churn, specifically with them. Um, and churn is a hard problem because it has this, it, it, in data science terms, there's, there's a censoring problem of um, basically uh, the time window is all messed up. Yeah. All you have is like, well, I know that so-and-so churned at this time, but I don't know if this other person's gonna churn or not. And um, that leads to all kinds of issues with most machine learning models uh, because you kind of have this incomplete data set. Mm -hmm. And um, so what we ended up using a lot of the time, uh, I mean, we did some basic classifications and that kind of stuff, but then we kind of started getting into more of the um, just actually older um, stats models. So like more of the regression style models, mm -hmm. uh, which seemed to work a little better. Um, yeah. Which like is survival. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's all survival analysis. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, that was actually a big lesson to me is like, I think originally I'm like, Oh, I'm just going to use like, you know, whatever state of the art. And yeah. to be honest, like we ended up using, um, you know, stats models, mm -hmm. like from the Python, like stats model, like survival type stuff, mostly. Um, and, worked fine yeah <laughs> yeah uh and and that was the other thing that i learned too um this this was a really big um lesson learned for me is we had a lot of data points that would lead to churn mm -hmm. but those were all data points that we could not influence so so what i mean by that is it was like um oh somebody downgraded their their plan or somebody hasn't logged in in like 30 days. And the problem is, is that I, I would present this to to the stakeholders and I'd say like, hey, like, you know, um, the biggest factor is whether they logged in in the last 30 days and they'd be like, okay, great. How do we get people to log in? Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was, a, it was a big lesson to me of, you know, a lot of the time the data that I had access to we couldn't do anything about. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was this kind of like no brainer that if somebody didn't log in, they're not going to pay us. Yeah. Um, it really taught me a, a, an important lesson of like following through and pulling the thread as much as I possibly could because just because the data was easily accessible doesn't mean that it was good data or quality data. Yeah. Um, so. Oh, that's such a such a good point. Um, and uh, I'm also curious. Uh, as a data scientist, especially when you work with startup, when you have those findings, okay, this is the churn analysis. Now people will ask you, okay, now what? How can I use this information to improve the business? So yeah. how did you suggest the marketing team to uh, influence their customer? <laughs> um, well, I, <laughs> so this is, this, this is a funny one. I think this, the, okay, so, uh, being really specific with ClickFunnels, ClickFunnels gives out free domains, and it, this is this is part of their offering, right? So this yeah. is this is on ClickFunnels.com, mm -hmm. and um, part of that is because we figured out that you know when somebody has a custom domain associated with ClickFunnels, they're more likely to stick around, and it's interesting because like it's great that we give out free domains or they give out free domains, um, but 
it really didn't change anything. It was kind of like one of these things of like, we delivered that to the marketing team and they're like, oh, this is great. We, we, we know that the, if somebody has a domain enabled, then they'll be more likely to stick around. Yeah. So then we just give out free domains. But then the problem is, is that it didn't really change anything. Uh, because I think the problem was, is that like in that particular case, the people who were going through the pain of setting up a domain, mm-hmm. paying for it, and then bringing it over, were just more likely to stick around, period. Yeah. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah. Um, so like when they say, okay, we'll just give out free domains and then we'll yeah. hack our way to a better, uh, better retention rate. Mm-hmm. And it's like, this is, this is another problem I've encountered with data science is that it's, it's very much a whack-a-mole. Like mm-hmm. you think like you figured it out and you try something and then it's actually incorrect. <laughs> yeah. Or there's a variable that's not in your model. Right. I mean, that's, that was probably all of it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And uh, uh, in general, so if you are helping the business me- measure the engagement, mm-hmm. how do you design the metric and how um, to use that metrics to kind of uh, influence behavior? Yeah, I'm a firm believer in, um, there's a book called The Four Disciplines of Execution mm-hmm. uh, from Covey. I think it's like Franklin, Co- you know, the people who, who wrote the um Seven Habits of Highly Effective oh, People. Okay. Yeah, so so that same company wrote basically an equivalent for com- uh, companies. They kind of wrote like, uh, interesting. these are the four disciplines of execution mm-hmm. at a company. And there's a piece of that book that is so important to data scientists of talking about leading measures versus lagging measures. Leading measures are things that lead to whatever goal it is that you have. Lagging measures are kind of they're just like regressive. They're, they're based off of the past. So like a, a great example of this, it, what I always think of is, you know, uh, people always want to lose weight or like get into better shape. Mm-hmm. So what they will do is they say like, well, I want to lose 15 pounds. That's fine. But that's a, that's a lagging measurement mm-hmm. because, um, it's based off of what you did in the past oh. versus saying, I need to focus on how many times I worked out or yeah. how many calories I right. ate. Um, and this is the thing that is so, so important with data science is that like we, we, a lot of the time our models are built off of lagging measurements. So it's like revenue or, mm. or profit. And this is very soft, this is soft skills, but yeah. you know, what are the measurements that are leading to success? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think with data, you know, with, with our models, like we can get there. Um, but that is the lens or the prism or whatever you want to call it that I use to figure out like what what are the metrics that are important is where does this metric lead uh, versus, you know, everybody wants to make more money. Everybody wants to, uh, you know, lose weight or whatnot. But it's like getting really clear as to like what it is that you're measuring that will lead to that goal. Yeah. Um, that That's such an important thing. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So instead of just... Uh say, oh, I want to lose less money. I want to waste less time. Think about what do you really want? Uh, what's your North Star and right. work towards that? Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, exactly. Um, and and it's, it's, it's highly subjective. For instance, with, with like, I've seen this where it's like, you know, we want to increase revenue by 20% or we want to, um, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't really matter, but it's like it, Increasing revenue by 20% means many different things depending on which company you're at. Yeah. So at some companies, that means how many sales calls do you make? Or at another company, it's how, ma- how many um, 
you know, Facebook ads have you put out? Mm-hmm. It's it's very subjective, but it's so powerful to, to, to really get clear as to like what it is that is leading to success versus just what is success. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think it's very important for data scientists to think like a business owner instead of just, uh, you know, work on this project. So I... I'm sure when you in in the beginning phase of a machine learning project, you were talk to talking to the several founders or product managers. So how um, how do you identify the right problem to solve, the right metric mm. to measure? That's a great question. So some of this, uh, you know, pulls on a, a completely different track of my my history of. I feel like so much of being so so much of my job is facilitation um so so what i mean by that is a lot of the time it's interviewing people in a way to get them to uncover what they may or may not have already known and when it comes to working with startup founders or business owners a lot of the time i'm trying to get really to the to the depths of whatever it is that they're after um and in a lot of ways, that is a very emotional thing for them, mm-hmm. whether they realize it or not. It, it's kind of one of these things of like, what are they terrified of or what are they most excited by yeah. are the best things to work on. Hmm. Um, and a lot of the time, it there's this like certain level of asking questions that surprise people enough for them to actually give you the true answer versus just like the lip service Mm -hmm. of like, like a great trick that, I I mean, I don't really play these tricks on people. I mean, I, um, but, but there's, there's a, there's a good book called um, instant influence, I want to say. And there's this whole section of motivational interviewing, uh, which is basically asking questions that people don't expect just to throw them off enough. Can you give us some example? Yeah, yeah. So, so like uh, a, a quick example out of the Instant Influence book is is you say, you know, okay, machine learning is, let, let's say, okay, I, I've, I've encountered this where somebody says, you know, we want to use machine learning more at our organization. Mm-hmm. I've heard that one a lot. And it's like, <laughs> well, what does that mean? Yeah. Um, so then I'll ask, okay, like how motivated are you to use machine learning at your organization? Scale of one to 10, you know, just just tell me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, people would be like, well, I'm, a, I'm an eight. Yeah, You know, and it's like, oh, okay, eight. Here's the trick. Most people would think, well, why isn't that higher? Like, that's the question, right? Mm -hmm. Well, actually, the better question to ask is why isn't it lower? Mm. Why isn't it seven? Why isn't it one? Why why isn't it like super non-important? And then people will start defending themselves and they'll be like, oh, well, you know, like um, it's really important because um, I'm worried that we're losing like, you know, market traction or I'm, I'm worried that like my boss is going to fire me or, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, it, it, it depends. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's really about getting to what is somebody really afraid of? Um, or what is somebody super excited about? Um, and, and sometimes it also just requires even more questions. So like another great example is, you know, uh, you can ask people, you know, what's at risk if I do this? Um, what, what's, what's really at risk if I do this? And if you keep asking that question, mm-hmm. eventually somebody's body language will change enough that you'll be like, oh, that's the real answer. Okay. Oh. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm serious. Like mm-hmm. it's because I, I think in business, we, um, business startups, you know, wherever people kind of carry around these personas 
which are really just shields, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, we're, we're trying to like protect ourselves and that's yeah. totally fine. But if you can get to the, to the bottom of what somebody's after, it just opens up a whole new world of like, oh, that's what you're after. You're, you're after like uh, a promotion. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've gotten to that one before where somebody's really just after a promotion and yeah. it's like, cool, I can help you get a promotion. <laughs> you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And, and I think like getting to the real thread of honesty mm-hmm. is, is so powerful. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, and I think when we, either work on machine learning project or any type of work, a big part of it is people, the relationships, although you cannot see them, but it's those invisible lines that sometimes pulling whether uh, they're still interested in the project, whether they want to invest in it, or sometimes if um, some people just don't like each other, maybe the project will fail. Yeah. Um, it, one thing you just said is, is, <laughs> is another great trick to play on people, uh, taking things away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so like machine learning tends to be kind of, a, you know, it's like, it's a nice to have, like, it's like, oh, we really, we really want to have this. And then, you know, people will drag their feet on a lot of projects. Um, if you do sometimes like I've done this before, we'll be like, oh, I just, okay. Like, I know that you're not interested in this anymore. So mm-hmm. like, uh, I'll go work on something else. And if, if you say that to people, usually people will get very a little combative and it's like, what are you talking about? I'm still yeah. interested in this. Mm-hmm. And it is a little bit of a trick, but it's also kind of a motivational technique to get people to take it seriously. Yeah. Um, because I think, unfortunately, data science and machine learning kind of gets you know, glopped into this whole, like, it's nice to have, Mm -hmm. or, oh, wow, I read about this in TechCrunch or uh, whatnot, and I heard it's really interesting, but I know nothing about it. (laughs) Yeah. And part of our job is to, you know, be clear, but then also to get people motivated Mm -hmm. about it. So, yeah. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And I know you call them tricks, I think, because... Uh, it can get controversial because sometimes people say, oh, those inf- influence skills are manipulative. And I think at a um, bottom line, it can go both directions. I think the most important mm-hmm. thing is your intention. Mm-hmm. Are you using those tricks to help this person find out what they really want or they, you just manipulate them to do something you want, right? right. Yeah. That, that's, that's all of it. I think that's a really good thing to to call out is is that because yes you can you can use tricks for for good and and bad um and it really does come down to yeah what's the difference between influence and manipulation right Mm -hmm. it's like what is the difference um and the difference is who does it benefit right right it's it's one of these things of if i am influencing you in a way that only benefits me that's manipulative. Yeah. You know, I mean, that, that's manipulation, like 100%. But if I'm influencing you in a way that benefits you, mm-hmm. that's really kind, yeah. <laughs> you know? I yeah. mean, it's just like, um, and that, that's what's so interesting is, is that I think, unfortunately, there has been a lot of people in history who've used techniques to get their way. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's it doesn't have to be mm-hmm. manipulative, you right. know, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um yeah, I really love this topic. And then you previously mentioned the working with people observe their 
body language. So how, and also there are different type of,、uh, I guess, schools on how do you、uh, understand people、uh, based on their either motivations or communication style. Do you have a framework for you to, you know, for you to not like categorize people, but just. Um, understand people easier. Yeah, that's a really good question. There's so many models.、Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I actually heard something which was which is interesting. I、um, I really like you know the, people like Myers Briggs and、um, there's Disc, there's Disc and、mm-hmm. Myers Briggs and and all these different models that like explain people's motivations. Yeah, and I think. Use as many as you can、mm-hmm. because people are incredibly complex.、Yeah. And、uh, my personal opinion about things like Myers Briggs is that like it's a good start.、Mm-hmm. There's so many others.、Um, so a great example is that some people are auditory, some people are visual, some people are kinesthetic. Yeah,、uh, just knowing that. Tells you a lot.、Mm-hmm. Uh, I I I do this thing where like I'll, I'll point my ears at people, which、mm-hmm. is this is like a sign that I'm listening more、mm-hmm. than I'm like. So I'm very auditory. Okay.、Um, so that's almost always like a like a sign, like、mm-hmm. oh, like I, I'm just listening to you. <laughs>、um, knowing that's really interesting because you can kind of start to tune into somebody's like wavelength a little、mm-hmm. better, and I think. Use them all. So Myers Briggs,、uh, Disc.、Uh, I, I like the Enneagram. Some people don't. I feel like it's pretty like woo woo. Yeah.、Uh, but but I I think Enneagram is very powerful too.、Um, I I study.、Uh, there's a there's a theory called integral theory,、mm-hmm. which which has to do with like、uh, different stages of awareness.、Um, I feel like using them all. Yeah. As, as much as you can and studying as much as you can、mm-hmm. uh, about people and. There's also a self-serving aspect to that. The more you study about people, the more you understand about yourself. Yeah, it's 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 interesting because the more that I see things in other people, really, I'm just seeing it in myself、mm-hmm. because I'm projecting it onto them. Right.、Um, there's all kinds of different frameworks, and and I could. Go off for a very long time about them.、Um, <laughs> We I, need to have an episode two. Yeah, just talk about this. Yeah, I I'm also a big believer in、uh, some of Carl Jung's work.、Mm-hmm. I, I think I said that to you. Yeah.、Um, archetypes are interesting.、Mm-hmm. Uh, so, very short tangent on archetypes.、Uh, these are kind of these. They're they're like images that you will see in like movies. You know,、mm-hmm. it's kind of like the warrior or like the king、yeah. or the.、Uh, You know the sage, right?、Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is that like everybody has a different connection to those.、Mm-hmm. So like some people will be more warrior-like, and some people will be more king-like, or you know, like and and tuning into those aspects of people is is really powerful. I kind of try to learn as much as I can about people because. Um, again, it it helps me understand myself. So、yeah. there's a little bit of a self-serving part to it, but、right. um, it really helps. Of even something like, oh, I know so and so is a. I mean, I'll use the enneagram. It's like I know so and so is an enneagram four.、Mm-hmm. So then I understand some aspects of their personality.、Yeah. Four know, is the individualist. Yes, right. right. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah. I have like four is like my secondary. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it's um, and and some of this is. 
it can be a little bit of a trap mm-hmm. because I don't think it's good to typecast people either. Yeah, like right. uh, Myers-Briggs is kind of a little bit like that. Mm-hmm. So like I'm an INTP and it's like, well, but that doesn't tell you everything about me. Right. You know? yeah. I have a strong opinion about uh, Myers-Briggs. So for people who are not familiar with this, so it's basically have four categories and each category have two classes. Yeah. I think this uh, something we deal with in machine learning, how do you calibrate your prediction, right? So this model is very naive. It just does a cutoff at a 50%. But my challenge is whenever I do the test um, for the introversion, extroversion, and uh, thinking, feeling, I'm always around 50%. Mm. So my result sometimes oh, is like extroversion, thinking, oh. or introversion, feeling. Yeah, yeah. And then when I... So that's another thing. When you look at your model, don't don't just look at the category it predicts. Look yeah. at the the probability, the score. Yeah. So when I look at the score, it's either 49, 51. Mm-hmm. So the 50% cutoff doesn't make sense. Um, yeah. And I think the same goes when we when you categorize the model. You know, look at the score. If everything is around 50%, maybe you need to uh, think of a different ways to calibrate mm. the Categorize the category. Yes. For for me, I feel if you are around fifty percent, it doesn't really make sense to uh, just dichotomize it. Uh, maybe if you are high in the eighties or low in the twenty. Um, you can, you know, extrovert, introvert, and then yeah. something in the middle, maybe it's just like, I don't know, undecided or give yeah. it a category. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's um, <laughs> first of all, somebody with an Enneagram 4 uh, tendency would say something like this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but all, yeah, I totally agree with you. Uh, so I, um, here's, here's my personal take on all of this is that really we are all of all of them. Yeah. Uh, so like, we are both extrovert and introvert. Mm-hmm. It just really has to do with what comes online for us. Yeah. Um, because in, in here's a great example. Uh, so with with archetypes. Um, so a lot of people. Uh, I, I've done a lot of like volunteer work with people and and um, with like um, men's work and. Mm-hmm. Um, so we use a lot of archetypes, and some people be like, "Well, I'm not. I'm not a warrior type, or mm-hmm. you know, whatever." Right. But here's the thing is, it's like, it's so contextual and, and sometimes things just come online. Yeah. Uh, so, so like warrior is very much like, you know, the person who's going to war and like, you know, going to take charge and that yeah. kind of stuff. And a lot of people be very laid back. Right. Um, but here's a great example is that I'll ask somebody who's like a, a father or a mother. It's just like, well, what, what's going to happen if somebody like steals your kid? It's mm-hmm. like, what are you going to do? It's like, you're going to freak out and you're going to like turn on that like, aspect of you that you might not know is even there Mm -hmm. um and i think it's it's the same thing with myers-briggs it's like you know um there's a there's a trend right now of like it's great to be quiet or it's great to be introverted uh and it's like we're both right it it really depends on what you're pulling from at any given Mm -hmm. point um so it's like you can be both and you are both i mean it's just like um i'm incredibly introverted in my actions Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that I can't like go be extroverted at like a networking party. Yeah. It, it really just depends on what I'm turning on and turning off. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I'm right there with you about my, my frustration about the, the Myers-Briggs is the same. It's just yeah. like I, I really I feel like it can be a little misused. Mm-hmm. Um, I work with somebody who's like, you know, I'm an INTP and it's just like or and I, I'm an INTP and they're an INTJ. And it's just like, yeah. cool. 
<laughs> you know, yeah. what do we do with it? Right. You know. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, uh, also, feel it's good to um, study those and do those tests, but don't put yourself in uh, this pigeonhole. Oh, I'm just. Uh, allow the test results to label right. you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and and I think you know enneagram. Uh, it, it's it, enneagram's interesting because it's like again we're all the enneagrams. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like you just get to pick one and that's your entire life. Yeah. Um, because there's an aspect of every enneagram number that's in everybody. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just a matter of where's your center of gravity, yeah. I guess, so to speak. It it is very much probability. I mean, I think that's what's so interesting is is that. Um, you know, using data science and machine learning mm-hmm. or, you know, probability. It's like we just have a, uh, a discrete distribution uh, <laughs> is really what it is. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I love talking about that. And uh, so you, you have worked on a lot of machine learning projects and uh, in different industries. What are um, some projects you have failed and uh, what lessons you learn from it? <laughs> Um, I would say my biggest failure is um, the book that I wrote. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have a cool like, you know, um, book that I wrote for O'Reilly and and it's it's fine. Uh, I think that it kind of went a little sideways um, for for many reasons. I think it turned out okay in the end, um, but... I, it, to be completely honest with you, that was around the time that I was going through all this crap in my life oh. of like, just like having cancer and, um, you know, my, my dad passed away and, and like, that was actually around the time that I was coming out with the second version of this book that I wrote. Mm. Oh, and, wow. and it's, it really turned into kind of this, I got it done, but I don't think it had enough time. Mm-hmm. Uh, book writing is very difficult and, it doesn't come naturally, I think, to anybody. I, I think yeah. a lot of, you know, it takes a lot of time and a lot of like down, uh, like thinking time. And I just didn't have the mental space for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still had an agreement to to make it. Uh, yeah. So it was kind of like this um, issue of, I was gonna finish it, but you know, it didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. Mm-hmm. Um, it sucks because well, first of all, I feel like machine learning has changed a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, the, so the software itself has changed so much in the last five-ish years. But yeah, it it sucks because like it's one of those things that sticks with me because and I and I kind of hold it on my sleeve because I have a I have a a book cover on my wall behind mm-hmm. me at, in my office. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I I feel like if I had more time, uh, it would have been different. Yeah. yeah okay yeah thanks for yeah. sharing that yeah yeah um and you mentioned software has changed a lot so over the past five years yeah what what are some big shifts you observed yeah i think the biggest shift is that you know it's interesting because i feel like back when i was first starting doing any machine learning it was very much every algorithm had its own package and its own like installation path. So if you were to use, you know, support vector machines, you would go to the libsvm website and download that and like compile it. And mm. there was all of the setup. And what has changed more than anything else is that it is so incredibly easy to get started and to install this stuff. Yeah. So, you know, you can load up Google Colab or, um, 
you know, basically like load up a Jupyter notebook mm-hmm. on the cloud and it has everything you need. Um, Anaconda is great because like you have NumPy and, and pandas and, and all these tools just kind of there ready for you. And, um, when I first started, it was kind of like a mixed bag of some of it was somebody's master's dissertation or master's thesis or like PhD dissertation that wasn't really fully done. Or some of it was like actually used by people um, or it was all owned by MATLAB and it was very expensive. Um, And things have become so much more democratized and cheap Mm -hmm. um, that it's, it's just, it's super easy to, to download state of the art stuff and get going on it. Um, so I would, I would say that like fundamentally what has changed is that it's become so much less of a, it's just become so much easier to get started because I feel like at the time, you know, 10 years ago, it was, it was very much like you'd spend a week trying to find the best tool and then, identify all the issues and all of the missing pieces Mm -hmm. to then like work around it. Uh, But now it's, you know, pip install whatever you want, (laughs) you know, whether it's cab boost or XG boost or late GBM or, uh, you know, you can use scikit-learn of course. Um, Keras, PyTorch, all these things are incredible. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's like, there was no spacey. Mm -hmm. There was no fast text, no Gensim. So -hmm. everything was NLTK too, which was, it's still around and it's okay, but it, it was hard to use. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I feel like the the barrier to entry is so much less. Mm-hmm. So which yeah. is great. Yeah. Uh, big big believer <laughs> in it. And there are so many new papers published every day. Um, a lot of new tools. So how do you stay up to date? Well, not overwhelm yourself. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, there is a lot of papers coming down the pipeline. And if you go on to, you know, towards data science or, you know, there's all these roll-ups of papers. And, and honestly, uh, I, I worry a little bit about data scientists reading too much into the new stuff mm. uh, because it's kind of like, it, it's the old like Bruce Lee thing of like, it's not about how many different kicks you can throw. It's right. like, can you do one? <laughs> like just start with one kick. Yeah. Like don't worry about swarm learning or like, you know, federated learning mm-hmm. or what, what just came out of Google. Don't worry about that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when you're ready for it, um, where I get my research from, I get my research from nature. Mm-hmm. So nature magazine, not like nature as in like oh. plants and trees. Mm-hmm. Um, Although nature is great too. Um, Nature is a huge lens into major research. Um, Oh, really? Yeah. uh, They're a great Mm -hmm. journal. And one of the problems with nature is that a lot of it is like biomedical research. So you're going to get a lot of like lately it's all about, you know, um, you know, research on you know, different vaccines and stuff like that. But, but actually you will get things like, uh, you know, alpha zero and mu zero and kind of this like deep mind projects mm-hmm. written up in a very, very nice way. Oh, okay. Um, and they'll have links to like the GitHub repositories. Mm-hmm. Um, I read a paper about swarm learning, which I'm really big on. I find that nature is good. I struggle to recommend other, others out there and and the reason why is because i feel like there's a little bit of a trap of 
reading too much into what's going on in the market. <laughs> yeah. um, there's a lot going on. And, and honestly, most of it is not applicable now. Uh, so, you know, it's good to take a little bit at a time. Right. But it can turn into this problem of like, you know, using exercise as a good example. It's like, yeah, you can you can read everything you want to read about how to exercise and, uh, you know, the best possible like arm curl you can do. Mm-hmm. But nothing replaces going and exercising. And I feel like reading too much into the research is, is a little bit of a trap. Yeah. Uh, it's just like, unless you that's your job like mm-hmm. as, a, as like an academic or something so yeah yeah, yeah i think that's a that's a great device and then you talked about you're into um swarm learning can you talk a little about that yeah uh so there's i'm a i'm a big believer in so swarm learning uh very quickly swarm learning is basically the next iteration on federated learning so federated learning is um let me let me back up a little bit. Uh, so so uh, machine learning, you know, you have a data set and you want to train a model off of the data set, you know, so you should use like cross-validation, that kind of a thing. So basically like, you know, I train up a model and then after the model is trained, where does it go? A lot of the time it'll go to like um, a server. Mm-hmm. So, so a lot of people will do this thing of they will train up a model, pop it into some like, you know, EC2 box or, you know, whatever, and it will it will give you results. That's kind of been what a lot of people have been doing and it's all Python and and that's great. The problem with that is that a lot of the time it can be a little slow. Uh, so there's there's network latency. Um, there's, there's a couple of other issues just like, you know, might just be slow in general and sometimes it's it's over-engineered. So like if, for instance, on your on your iPhone, you want quick, machine learning inferences. So, so federated learning is kind of like taking that a little bit further of saying, you know, I still have a central server that collects data. Mm -hmm. Um, but I have all of these like edge devices that are sending data back to the server. So it's, it's like taking that idea of basically saying, I want to have a bunch of iPhones that are collecting data and sending it back to a server and then training, training that way. And that's, that's great. Uh, I, I think federated learning is, is very cool. So basically you learn through uh, collective intelligence. So, mm-hmm. so this, is, this is like this idea of you have, you know, hundreds of thousands of people traveling through traffic and you want to learn in real time and you can use kind of this federated learning type model. The problem is, is that there's still a central server. Yeah. Uh, you still have to send it back somewhere. Swarm learning is taking that further into uh, the, the application has been on uh, precision medicine. Mm-hmm. So basically, like, we want to collect data about people uh, and we want to share it in a way that's private and secure. Uh, so the idea is, is, I mean, this is still a little conceptual, is that you take the data from edge devices and you're still learning from it, but you're sharing it over a blockchain, mm. uh, which, which is an interesting idea yeah. uh, because basically you can, you can have these like nodes or like um, groups of people who are learning together without them knowing about each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that that is really interesting to me because I feel like, you know, there's, there's issues with like privacy and, and um, you know, computing edge or like, uh, computing at scale and and this kind of pushes it further and further to the edge yeah um and i'm i'm a big believer also in edge ai which is really effectively like pushing the inference and um 
training as much to the end device as possible. So mm. uh, I've been I've been really into this idea of um, Rust. Uh, so Rust is just a programming language, yeah. and you can build a lot of TensorFlow-like models in Rust using mm-hmm. a tool called Tract, which is from Sonos. Uh, yeah. And I think it's cool because it's faster, mm-hmm. um, and it's, it, it makes things faster, and so therefore it kind of opens up a new opportunity for us of mm-hmm. like, you know, people can can learn in a browser or they can learn on their iOS device, or yeah. they, you know, and, and I think that that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, still to be determined though. Yeah, so if people can learn it on their, you know, device, how do you see um, the swarm learning and Rust will change the future of the machine learning landscape? I think that it just it's just another iteration off of like, you know, where do you put the inference and where do you put the, uh, the training? Uh, mm-hmm. I think that there's just new applications. So like I personally, I feel like swarm learning is very valuable with like security um, because a lot of security is you still effectively have to send data to some random service server and then learn like is this secure is this insecure yeah um if we're able to do that with blockchain in a, in a very uh private way you know basically nobody would ever have to know that but so no no company would have to sit as an intermediary mm-hmm. and like collect information on people and you know people will be safer on the internet which is which is a good thing you know yeah. uh but but you know there's still still work to be done there mm-hmm. for sure so yeah yeah cool and so um, you work a lot with startup and then they usually move really fast. Mm-hmm. Is there a time when your model doesn't work and there's a deadline that you can't deliver? What did you do? Ooh, uh, this is the age old problem with, with software engineering and, and estimation mm-hmm. is, you know, when, when is it going to get done? And then the age old answer is two weeks from now. Yeah. And it's just like those two weeks will come and pass. And I think there's a couple of things. I think originally earlier on in my career, I would just kind of push through it as, as hard as I possibly could mm-hmm. and deliver something. And I still think it's important to deliver something. Uh, I would say that like if the model is really going sideways and not going well, mm-hmm. then it's on me to really communicate that effectively yeah. with whoever it is. Mm-hmm. If it if it's really not working out well, I need to make that clear. Because I think at the end of the day, like people don't want to deliver um, things that don't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so like making it you know, it's like the, the, the worst case example would be like if you built a machine learning model that's like 50-50. Yeah. Um, or it's like maybe it's like 51-49. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> like, okay, that, that, that does something, but that's not what most people want. Right. And, and I think that there's kind of a threshold of like if it doesn't meet the minimum threshold, then it's kind of like, you know, we need to figure out a different solution. Mm. Um, so throw it away or um, find a new project. Um, and I think, you know, if that really does get to that case and it doesn't happen super often, um, then there's always, there's always a lesson to be learned, um, to, to kind of move into the next thing. But I I would say that in general, like in those cases, like I would deliver something, but then it would be like a, um, like, look, this is not very good. Right. <laughs> but know? this is the evidence that yeah, it's yeah. not going to work. That's yeah. exactly right. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, delivering like, hey, this is why this is so bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, usually people are pretty 
understanding about that. Mm-hmm. I have kind of yet to run into somebody who had unreasonable expectations with that, where yeah. it's just like, just deliver it anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, How but, do you communicate that when that happens? Uh, I'm a believer in communicating early and often. Um, so I, you know, I use all the tools that everybody probably uses, so Slack and, and that. And I think it's one of those things of like, Somebody should not be hearing about a failure at a delivery meeting. Um, so, so like they should know mm. way before then. Yeah. Like, hey, this is kind of going a little weird. Mm-hmm. Um, they should know way, 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 way before then because like nobody wants to have a surprise. Right. And and I think that's uh, that's something I've learned uh, experience wise is delivery meetings or um, you know board meetings, any kind of like meetings with like mm-hmm. you know. Uh, pointy-haired bosses, uh, as they could be called. Um, no surprises. There should yeah. be no surprises. Mm-hmm. Let me backtrack. Uh, there could be a surprise of you did better than expected, <laughs> but no surprise under. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like if you set the expectations in the right place and you say, hey, this is not going well, this is not going mm-hmm. well, and then it turns out okay, that's okay. But um, it's just so much better to to set the expectations as low as possible. <laughs> right. And sometimes I think it's because we really want to impress someone. We over promise something and then yeah. we can't deliver. Um, do you have any tips in setting the right expectations with people? Yeah. You know, so I find that as a data scientist, mm-hmm. I have a, uh, let's call it an extended vocabulary of terms. Uh, mm-hmm. So, I, you know, there's all these terms in, in data science of, you know, uh, recurrent neural nets and all these different terms. And I find that the most important thing for me is to get down to whatever level somebody is at and be... So, so what I mean by this is like basically like being as clear as possible without any data science terms, mm-hmm. uh, using whatever terms they're using, and really trying to be honest when I don't know something too. Uh, yeah. I think that's a that's a really big key is being very forthcoming that I have, like if I don't know what I'm doing mm-hmm. or if I don't have an answer, I just say, I don't know. Yeah. I, I do not know and, mm-hmm. and make sure that that like really sinks in because I think the problem that data scientists run into is that you know, we have all of these terms. So we have, you know, neural nets and mm-hmm. LSTMs yeah. and, and we sound really smart, but sometimes we don't know. <laughs> we don't know what we're doing. Right. And and I think my my job is to get to whatever level somebody's at first and foremost. So, mm-hmm. so like not using jargon and uh, speaking as clearly as possible. And then also um, I think... I don't know how to explain this, but it's like, I don't want to be talking at them um, and I don't want them talking at me. I want to be talking together. Uh, There's kind of this like, um, there's like an energetic thing of like, I don't, I don't want it to be combative. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's just like, we're we're on the same team. We're after the same goal. And um, this is what I know. Here's the data. Here's, here's kind of like, you know, my feeling, my gut feeling on Mm -hmm. this. And uh, here's kind of my assessment or like, you know, I don't know, this is probably not going to turn out well (laughs) or, or like, yeah, you know, it'll probably turn around, but I don't know. Um, I think that's, that's what it's all about is just being as clear as possible. Um, 
but again it, it very much depends um right but yeah 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 i think you brought up something very important sometimes it's not about the words you use is behind communication is always your mindset do you see the other person you know as a opponent or a teammate right yeah. if something on your team you feel comfortable be honest with them because you want to achieve this goal instead of just i look good you look bad Right, exactly. I I think um, yeah. I'm trying to remember the term for this. It's a it's a big thing in negotiation where、mm. it's like you don't want to be in conflict with people. Right.、Uh, it's very much kind of a it, here. Here's another example. It's kind of like a,、uh, I took an improv class like years ago,、mm. and it's like. It's like never saying no to somebody, but、right. but then like working with whatever they're talking about. So like instead of saying, you know, yeah, but、uh, you say yeah, and、mm -hmm. the you know you kind of keep the conversation going, and then it's it's very much like in in my mind of like I'm trying.、Um, like we're on the same we're on the same team. Like we're all in this together. Like it'll be fine.、Um, But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I um also read some books、uh, talking about that. There's a, I think I forgot which company it is that they have a culture. They don't say no. You say yes. Maybe I have to do this later. I can't help you right now. But to be honest, maybe just my own communication style. I can see someone is using that trick, and I appreciate that. But sometimes I also feel frustrated.、Yeah. Hey, it's easier for you to just say no instead of for me to figure out. Oh, actually, this is a no. Yeah. Right. So,、yeah. have you find、uh, circumstances where no is more productive? Yeah, you you bring up a really good point. I felt that way before too. Especially because as you learn more about some of these, like you know, negotiate, like how to do negotiations、yeah. or how to do sales, you start to see it. Yeah, you start to see people <laughs> playing it on you, and、uh, I think that in those cases, really the people who are very good at this stuff, yeah, start to recognize this and then be like. Actually, you know what? I'm going to be honest. I'll just level with you right now, and、yeah. I'll tell you the truth. Like, because、uh, you know it. It's one of these things of like, just try to not get so overly attached to one、right. method of doing something、yeah. because everybody everybody's different,、mm -hmm. and it fundamentally comes down to listening to what people are saying and、yeah. what their cues are,、mm -hmm. and and honestly, if if you and I are having a conversation and 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 I notice that you're you're starting to get a little like what. What is? Come on, like tell me the <laughs> truth here. Then, then it's on me to kind of be like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to tell you the truth. Like, no,、yeah. we're not going to do this.、Uh -huh. You know, and、yeah. I, I think that that is such an important thing is、uh, so contextual.、Mm -hmm. People are kind of amazing in, in a way because we're so incredibly complex. Yeah. And personally, as a data scientist, I get very excited by that because it's、mm -hmm. like it's a never-ending study. Right.、Uh, so yeah. Yeah. And、uh, you shared a, a, a document you wrote about giving good、uh, presentation.、Um, can you share some tips with our audience? Yes.、Uh, so I find that presentations are really important for data scientists. So there's a couple of things that I've learned、uh, through giving many different presentations. the The biggest thing is. Kind of having a good story arc in general. So, so like,、uh, I, what I mean by that is that generally speaking, presentations should should have a path that you're trying to get to. So,、um, a, a presentation might be like an after action, like narrative of like what happened and what went wrong.、Mm -hmm. That's that's one kind of a 
uh, an arc. Another one is an opportunity. Um, another one could be a crisis. Kind of like what? What is the general like principle of what you're trying to present? Like what? Is, what is the encapsulating idea? So like, what is the big idea that you're really trying to press? Um, I find that in in my work as a data scientist, a lot of the time it's an opportunity. So it's kind of like. You know, we went off and we looked at some data and we think that there's a new opportunity here. Um, yeah. So that that's very much kind of like a, here's a new opportunity. That's really important for me as a, as a, as a presenter to, to figure out like, what is the unique, what is the unifying principle that kind of like is everything. From there, it's really good to get to like, okay, here's the big idea. Um, and what what are the what is the supporting evidence? So, like generally speaking, I, I find that every presentation kind of follows into the three part structure. It's very much like you have one big idea and then like three supporting ideas. Organization is very important, um, but I would say that more than that, the best presentations that I've ever seen um, really come down to it, it comes down to honesty. So you'll like, generally speaking, what I will do is I'll present one idea and then I'll present the antithesis to that idea Yeah. Uh, as just like they're two equal ideas. And, and then the presentation becomes kind of this integration of the two. Mm -hmm. So like, uh, here's the opportunity, here's all the reasons that it could go wrong. And then through the presentation, it's about like going back and forth to like basically come up with like, this is a real opportunity and yeah. like, this is how we're gonna go forward. Mm -hmm. um, I would say also every presentation, uh, there's there's some very important pieces to get right. So the first, you know, five minutes of an hour long speech are really important. So usually in those first five minutes, you have to get people's attention and hold it. <laughs> And, mm -hmm. and it will get much worse on like webinars where like, you know, people's attentions on like YouTube or, or whatnot, but really it's about getting people's attention and holding it. Um, so, so that's really important at the beginning. At the end, it's really important for somebody to know what to do next. So like, what is that call to action? Like, what are you going to do next? Um, so these are, these are all kind of tactical things. Um, there's a book that I read a long time ago. It's, it's called like how to move mountains with words or something like that. Mm -hmm. I, I'll have to look up the title but um it's out of print and it's oh. a little it's a little old school mm -hmm. uh but it's this guy who ran like at&t's like bell laboratories oh, like wow. uh presentation stuff mm -hmm. and and it's pretty funny because like the visuals are about like using overhead projectors mm -hmm. and, and things like that mm -hmm. um but it's very good at explaining you want to basically hold both sides in a presentation. So mm. like the, the thesis and the antithesis, mm. and then over time you just kind of like bring them together because it's more entertaining and more educational that way. Mm -hmm. um, so another, another way of, of phrasing it would be cognitive dissonance. So it's like good presentations have a little bit of cognitive dissonance where people mm. are like, wow, that's really weird or that I didn't expect that Yeah, because when humans are surprised or, or, uh, there's a little bit of dissonance, we get more interested. And, mm -hmm. and I mean, you see this all the time with like YouTube or, or whatnot, where it's like, right. you know, this this weird trick that Bob played <laughs> on me, you know, and yeah. it's just like, oh, I want to click on that. Right. Um, so that's, that's a lot of good presentations. I would also say in terms of data science, removing as much jargon as possible yeah. is very, very important. Um, 
Richard Feynman, the famous physicist that everybody probably knows, he had his method, the, the Feynman method, which is basically like bringing it down to a five-year-old's level of, yeah. of um, you know, vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's so important. And I, I personally struggle with this of um, something called expert blind spot, where mm-hmm. it's like when you're studied enough on something, you kind of start to think that everybody knows this stuff yeah. and it's yeah. not true. I think the Feynman technique is, is very important. Um, although don't patronize uh, an audience. I, I've run mm. into that a couple of times where it's, you know, it's kind of like, well, this should be obvious or whatnot. It's oh, not. No. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that that's a nervous twitch of mine. So mm. like, yeah, that's just uh, that's what it is. So, yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good advice. Um, so you mentioned previously uh, when you were writing a book, um, there are a lot of challenges in your family and your health. Yeah. Um, so can you share more about uh, what happened there and sure. how did you c- kind of come out of it? Yeah. Uh, so in 2015, um, I was so backing up a little bit. I, I wrote two books. Mm-hmm. Uh, one one was written in 2014 and the other one was really written in 2015 but then was published in 2016 (laughs) and they were kind of meant to be like you know the first one is a start and then the second one was kind of like a refresh and rethought and basically long story short I signed up for way too much in my life there was a time when I was going to school uh, so I was studying for a master's program Mm -hmm. uh, writing a book I had more or less a full-time job and uh, a contract all at the same time. And, you know, studying computer science at the graduate level and also writing a book and working is way too much. And I think I was in this state of, you know, you should always say yes to things, say yes, yes, yes. And I think that's fine up to a point. Yeah. But then at some point, it's really more important to pull the weeds. Um, you know, it, it, there's this like a gardening analogy of like, you have to pull the weeds. Um, like whatever's not flying, like just get rid of it. And I didn't do that for, for many, many years. Um, it was kind of like, you know, after I got laid off in 2009, it was kind of like this idea of like, well, I just got to work really hard um, to get as far as I possibly can in my career. And you know, it's good to work hard, but then there's a, there's a threshold where it's too much. And, uh, I definitely went past that. Mm. And 2015 just kind of like all fell apart. Um, it was kind of like, it's a little bit like breaking bad, you know, where he's like, starts out like kind of like a little comedy and then it just kind of gets worse and worse and worse Mm. and worse. Um, I, I never, I, I didn't become Walter White, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, but, but you know, it, basically, like, at the beginning of that year, I was working, and then um, I said, you know what, I'm going to take, like, some, some time off and, mm-hmm. and, and focus on health. And then I went to therapy for the first time in my life. Yeah. And I went to a doctor for, like, the first time in, like, many, many years. Mm-hmm. And the doctor is just kind of like, uh, there's something weird here. Yeah, then, then basically it was like, oh, we found a, a growth um, in you. And like, oh, shoot, okay. Um, and so we monitored for a couple of couple of months. And then it was like, oh, it's getting bigger. So you better come in next week. Mm. And um, yeah, it was, it was cancer. It kind of went on and on and on. And um, 
so I, I had two surgeries. One was outpatient and the second one was, um, like I was in the hospital for like a week and I couldn't walk, um, mm. which sucks. Um, and then my dad passed away, uh, in, in a car wreck, uh, and, and it just kind of all happened at once. And, yeah. um, this was around the time that my, my book was like supposed to be coming out mm. and, you know, O'Reilly, I'll give, I'll give O'Reilly a lot of credit. They were very kind, very, you know, willing to work with me. And mm. I've done a lot of presentations with O'Reilly since, which yeah. I, I love working with them, but I feel like this book really shouldn't have been published. <laughs> um, it just kind of, it was rushed out. Yeah. And I think that what I learned from that is there's a certain level of, really burning the fire you know burning the candle at both ends kind of a thing that's fine but there needs to be like a respite and, and a time to to rest and and reflect and um you know really chill out um it's kind of like one of these things is like you can't build a fire without wood mm -hmm. you know and it's just like wood you know conceptually like philosophically is kind of like you know go go for a walk or something yeah. like just relax and um, what came out of that is good. Um, so first of all, I'm cancer free, which is great. Yeah. Um, it's like five years later, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I meditate and I, um, I've done lots of uh, men's work, which, mm -hmm. which is really good stuff. Um, so that's, that's kind of like, mm, it's not really group therapy, but it's good stuff. What is the men's work? Yeah. So, so men's work is interesting. Cause like, I think that, you know, right now there's a lot of <laughs> men have done a lot of awful things in the mm -hmm. world. Um, yeah. You know, like without getting into it, like, you know, there's like me too and, and all of these like uh, things that men have really screwed up on. Mm -hmm. uh, and and I think that, you know, people say it's like, oh, these are like, you know, um, God, somebody said it to me. It was like, these are like women's issues. And it's just like, no, these are men's issues. Yeah. Like, like guys are causing all of these problems. And um, I think a lot of that comes down to, um, there's there's this conspiracy of silence with mm. men of like not talking about the pain and and the uh, the things that we just push down inside yeah. of us. And, and it comes out in really bad ways. Mm -hmm. And um, for me, it was like, I, I got cancer and I it's just like burnt out like royally, yeah. uh, which, which is great because I didn't, you know, affect other people. Mm -hmm. It was just me. Yeah. Um, but I think in other cases, um, there, there are men out there who are suffering, who, um, do affect other people. Yeah. And so there's different variations of men's work, but effectively it's, it's like, you know, men, um, in taking ownership for their own crap in their <laughs> life, you know, and, yeah. and, and like working through the, um, the trauma, the pain, the, the whatever it is that somebody mm -hmm. has, you know, and it, it depends. Like some people come out of prisons and people are drug addicts. Some yeah. people are totally normal suburban dads. Right. And that really helped me mm -hmm. um, to, it, it's it's weird to say this, um, but it, it's very freeing to be in a room with a bunch of other dudes who are like, an emotional mess yeah <laughs> you know yeah. it's it's like it's and, and i think that like that's what girls do all yeah, the time I know, right? that's, normal. It's, <laughs> that's what i'm saying it's it's so funny it's yeah. like it's like guys are so bad at like opening up about yeah. the truth mm -hmm. it's like we're so uh worried that like you know oh he's you know you're a wuss or like whatever <laughs> and it's just like it's so freeing 
to just say the truth, yeah. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what came out of that is it's like, you know, I, I did that. I, I mean, I really still do it. Uh, it. You know, with the pandemic, it hasn't been happening as much like mm-hmm. in-person stuff, but yeah. there's that. And then that hooked me up with a lot of uh, Zen meditation. Uh, and, and I, I do a lot of that mm-hmm. and, and it's so important to, you know, people say mental health and, and it, it is, it, it, it's, it's health, you know, I mean, it's, it's not even mental health. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just health. Um, yeah. you know, it's, it's like a part of us that isn't, if not addressed, uh, just derails everything else. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it took me, gosh, a year to come back from 2015. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like it, I I went deep mm-hmm. <laughs> on the like burnout. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, people talk a lot about burnout and and it's it's very prevalent because I think we're not taking the time that we need. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like just like seriously, just stop, you know, like just slow down a little bit. It's mm-hmm. fine. Um, yeah. so yeah. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. So um, you you mentioned uh, meditation. So what are some other tools that help you, um, sure. you know, uh, grow yourself? Yeah. So one thing that's helped me a lot, actually, surprisingly enough, is taking my vitamins every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm amazed at how different I feel just by taking the right vitamins. Mm. Um, and, and what I mean by that is like specifically like I take omega-3 and vitamin D because I mean, I live in Washington, right? So mm-hmm. there's no there's no sun here. Right. Um, and I take vitamin B12 every single day. Mm-hmm. And that has completely changed how I see everything. Uh, mm. and, and it's it's kind of, it's like it's like a mental fog being like lifted off of yeah. that. Um, so I, I think first and foremost, like, you know, physical health is very important. I would say, you know, meditation is, is very good too. Um, I, being in silence is interesting. Um, you know, there, there's so many different uh, versions of it. You know, mm-hmm. people do Vipassana and, and Zen. I do Zen. There's also like, you know, inside timer, like on your phone and just like take a breather. It's surprising how powerful it is to just sit and breathe for like five minutes. Yeah. Um, it, there is something very important about it that I think we kind of forget about in modern society. It's kind of like we, we're, we're always like pushing things and, yeah. you know, going out for it. And it's like, seriously, five minutes, you know, and right. like, you know, just take a breather. <laughs> yeah, we all have five minutes, but sometimes I feel that I'm procrastinating. I'm not doing anything productive, but if you ask right. me to take five minutes to breathe, I also feel, oh my God, I'm yep. like wasting my time. Yep. I'd rather, you know, scrolling social media and stuff. That, that so it's is, like the yeah. mindset, I also feel like I'm rushing somewhere, although I'm procrastinating. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, you bring up a really important point of um, the first time that it, I find that, you know, I've done quite a bit of meditation. Um, yeah. And I remember the first time I meditated and it's like, all I could think about is, you know, oh gosh, like I better take care of this or I better go do that. And and it's it's one of those things of like, you know, a, a, a teacher will be like, hey, just sit down and breathe. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you sit down and breathe and it's like, all of a sudden it's like, who the hell let this person in here? Like, you know, this like yappy, like chihuahua in the middle of our <laughs> mind, you know? And it, that's, that's what's so interesting is, is that just sitting with that for a long enough period of time, the chihuahua like starts to slow down a little bit. And um, it's also interesting too, because um, doing more meditation time 
kind of like melts away in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And I wholeheartedly feel the same pain with like, oh, I better go like, you know, check my email or or check uh, my Slack messages. Mm -hmm. And I think that what meditation does is it's a discipline of saying no Mm-hmm. <laughs> to things oh interesting you know mm-hmm. and a matter of fact like um one of the the biggest zen koans has to do with um no saying it's not really saying no but mm-hmm. it, it has to do with no and it's so freeing to just say no to everything for five minutes and yeah. and it really opens up this ability to see the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm a big believer in it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And uh, so, what are some qualities you think that's helpful for a successful career? Oh boy, um, qualities. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that a successful career just comes down to consistency, um, showing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that. You know, there's there's lots of qualities that can lead to a successful career. I I just find that fundamentally it comes down to being just plodding along and and like being disciplined and doing the same thing over and over and over mm-hmm. again. I would say that learning matters a lot too. Like yeah. always be open to learn something new. You know, be friendly. Be friendly. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I maybe not like friendly in the like you know, let people trample over you. Mm-hmm. But like, I, it's interesting because I feel like the higher you go up in an organization, there are really nice people who are like C-level executives. Mm-hmm. They're very, I mean, there's ruthless people too, but yeah. I feel like most of the time, the people who make it to those levels are really great people and very kind. Mm-hmm. And um, they're not, they're not like ruthless killers. Yeah. I oh, mean, good to know. you know, it, it's, it's interesting. Cause <laughs> yeah. I, I think that there's a little bit of that, like mm-hmm. in, in, in business, like you have to be able to say no and, you know, yeah. uh, say the truth. But I always think about like when I was starting out my career, I called a CEO on the phone mm-hmm. of a major company and he picked up the phone and talked to me. Oh. It was really nice. Yeah. And, and it was like, I, so because I think of like Gordon Gecko or like these like, you know, ruthless like Wall Street thug type people. Yeah. And it and it's just not true. Mm. Uh, I, I think that, you know, if you're maybe not nice, like as in like you let people walk over you, but just like a kind person, like you just, I don't know how to say that. Yeah, it's there's some there's some energetic thing about people who are at the, the high levels of organizations yeah. where they're just... They just are people, people, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, they just, you know, they're not, they're not trying to like, you know, just trample over people, right. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, it's almost like you're working for people rather than like working against them. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And you also mentioned, uh, um, keep learning Mm -hmm. and uh, for data scientists there are always so much more to learn so how do you like organize your learning your notes yeah that's a that's a great question uh i i recently took a class called building a second brain and uh this is from somebody named tiago forte who uh i felt like this was one of the best classes i've ever taken um and the reason why is because knowledge 
it's interesting. Uh, we live in a society right now that has so much knowledge. Mm. You can Google the solution to just about everything. You know, it's like, oh, I have a headache. I'm going to put that into Google and it will say, you should take aspirin or, you know, ibuprofen or whatever. There's so much knowledge. Um, so then the question is, is like, how do you, what, what is valuable anymore? Is mm-hmm. it knowledge? And it's like, I don't think it's actually knowledge. And this is coming from Tiago Forte with building a second brand. He says that the thing that is valuable right now is perspective. Uh, and that makes a lot of sense. It's basically like building a perspective, curating all the knowledge into something that you have a point of view and, um, building a second brain, you can, you can Google this, uh, and you can kind of figure out like the, the model that he proposes, but effectively it comes down to, there's, there's kind of like two tracks. Like one is, uh, separating what is actionable now with what really needs to be kind of like put into the back burner. Mm-hmm. Um, so with the, with the things that are actionable, like put that into a to-do list or like, you know, put that into, um, you know, you could do, use Todoist or, um, there's like wonder list. There's all these, like basically have a list of things to work on. Mm-hmm. But then for the knowledge pieces, basically, uh, this is what I've been doing is, is I, I write up like little tidbits of notes into Notion. I use Notion, but yeah. other people use Evernote or, or OneNote or Rome, Rome Research. And um, as I'm reading, and I can read anything, it doesn't matter. Like basically I'll just read, oh, this mm-hmm. is interesting. I'll read that. Um, highlighting notes, storing it into um, a, a note repository mm-hmm. in a completely non-distilled open way yeah. is is so important. And then from there it becomes, okay, I got this stack of notes and they could be, you know, Zen meditation and machine learning models and, um, you know, new exercises to try. I mean, it could be anything. I have a stack of notes. Then it becomes, you want to organize that. He uses a model called Para, which is basically like you have projects, areas of interest, resources, and archive. You organize it that way. And then you come back and then you start to like summarize it. And and this is such a powerful technique um, because I find that as I'm reading a new paper about uh, machine learning or, or a, you know, towards data science, I'll highlight something in Instapaper, mm-hmm. which will automatically go into my Notion using Readwise, uh, which is the tool that I highly recommend. Um, and then from there, I'll pull it into a new Notion notebook mm-hmm. and I'll have all these quotes like already for me. Oh, wow. It's, it's, so, it's so incredible. Mm-hmm. And then um, I'm the person who highlighted everything. So I already have a perspective and I already have a lens. And then I can take like a stack of all these quotes that I've taken and then turn it into something new. Mm-hmm. And and that's really what a lot of it comes down to is expression. Yeah. Uh, and I've been personally using this at a startup, you know, kind of like I go out and I'll read stuff about business process management or, mm-hmm. you know, lean or, um, you know, the Hackett business benchmark. It's stuff that's kind of, boring and and crafty um and i'll highlight things and then it's almost kind of like i'll learn something new just based off of my own research yeah um and here's the thing that really kind of blew my mind is this whole idea of having a second brain is um you know we have our brains and we, and we we can memorize stuff but if you have a notes repository that you can search it's like your own personal google Mm -hmm. And it's incredible because 
I don't know about you, but like every time I Google something, I find a bunch of crappy articles. Yeah. Uh, it's just like they're not good articles mm-hmm. and they're, they're, they're highly optimized for SEO, but they're not very good. No. Versus if I Google my, you know, I Google my own second brand, mm-hmm. I'll find like, here's my machine learning like Notion page. Yeah. And these are the things that I'm interested in at, at this moment. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just completely different. So oh, wow. I highly recommend Tiago Forte's stuff. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of his stuff. So cool. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's all I I struggle with that a lot whenever it comes down to writing a blog. Yep. Uh, just put everything under my nose. So I, I'm sure I thought of something earlier, but I just can't find it. Well, and that's that's the thing is that like this whole process that he has, um it's like uh he calls it code. So basically capture um, organize, distill, which is basically like highlighting and, and bolding certain mm-hmm. passages and then express, which is like, you know, blogging or, you know, you could put something on the LinkedIn or, or like, you know, do a podcast. What's so cool is that you never start with a blank page. Mm. It's like you always have a page full of notes. Yeah. And, and that's the thing that I think, um, you know, as, as somebody who's written a book, that's the thing that sucks is like starting with a blank page. Mm. Uh, it, it just, it's not, it's not good. And um, with the second brain, like you never start with a blank page. Mm-hmm. There's always something there. And uh, it also works with how we are as human beings too, because I, f- I find that when I read, I want to be like, you know, sprawled out on a couch, like with an iPad, like just kind of thumbing through stuff and not really thinking that heavily. Mm -hmm. And um, I can do that. So I I can read a a Kindle book and highlight stuff and it will just go into my second brain so that in the future I can pull from it if I want. (laughs) So Yeah, that's really cool. I definitely check it out. Yeah. Um, And now looking back at your career, what advice would you give your younger self? Um, well, I mean, beyond the slow down, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I think, um, patience, yeah, patience is probably what I would tell myself. Uh, mm-hmm. this is like, seriously, just slow down a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, the other thing that I would say is don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, and, and what I mean by that is something very specific of, you know, I, I think there's the, the going idea of like, um, you know, I, I don't want to ask a question because I might look dumb or something, right. you know, yeah. uh, I think it's important to ask questions, especially when you don't know the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I think it's also really useful to ask for what you want to, even though you might not get it. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that, you know, early on in my career, like I was very like timid with finding new work or talking to people and you know it's just like oh gosh are they gonna like think i'm an idiot you know Mm. or like all the imposter syndrome stuff and you know it's interesting is i find that now i have this mindset of like i will just take like a handful of seeds and throw it out into a field and kind of (laughs) see what happens and it's almost kind of like if i can just you know, send somebody a note and say, like, I actually did this really recently where there was somebody online that I was like, wow, this guy's really cool. Like, I'd like to talk to him. I sent him an email and he was like, oh, yeah, sure. Like, let's talk. And I wouldn't have done that 10 Mm -hmm. years ago. Um, I think more than not, people are much more willing to chat and and friendly than I think I would have thought when I was early on in my career. Um, so yeah yeah thanks yeah. for sharing that that also 
it was some mistake I made um, when I just joined Amazon. I was worried that people would think I'm stupid, so I didn't ask questions. And then I learned very slowly. And also, when I become more senior, that becomes a problem as well. So sometimes I really have a stupid question to ask, but I feel, oh, would other people think I'm not good enough? Right. Yeah. Um, and also asking for opportunities. If you don't ask, the answer is always no. That's right. I think it is also going back to the mindset. Are you playing to win, or are you playing to not look stupid?、Mm -hmm. Because those two things will change how you behave. Yeah, right. If you constantly optimize around, I don't want to look stupid. Then you, if you never do anything, if Never take any risks. You never look stupid, but you never grow your career. That's right. Yeah. 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 It's it's all risk.、Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it is it is risk, and it's just showing up, you know,、yeah. and, and and asking questions, poking around. It's、mm -hmm. just like and and not being a jerk about it. Obviously,、yeah. like don't <laughs> don't do that either. Don't be a jerk and be like, hey, like I'm going to ask like you know really abrasive questions,、yeah. but just. Just be curious. I think being curious is so important.、Mm -hmm. You know, even curious of like, you know, I find that when I ask people like, "Hey, what should what should I do for for my career next?" or you know that kind of stuff, it's like just being curious and open. Yeah.、Um, a lot of the time, people will have an answer or a thought.、Mm -hmm. You know.、Um, yeah. <laughs> It's good stuff. Yeah.、Um, so, what do you think about the future of machine learning? I feel like machine learning is getting to actually a a peak of maturation where we're starting to see some of the the wrinkles in it,、um, mm -hmm. some of the some of the cracks, and I think that's good. And、namely, I think that you know ethics are becoming more important.、Uh, explainability is becoming more important.、Um, I think also. This is a little bit philosophical, but I feel like a lot of machine learning's big leaps forward are not necessarily,、um, you know, AGI. So like artificial, like general intelligence.、Yeah. Um, it's more、um, we're we're building models that are getting better and better at you know discriminating certain things. So、yeah. like、uh, if I take a photo of the the road, I know that this is a stop sign.、Um, and I think we're starting.、Uh, I think I'm noticing. That people are no,、uh, are realizing that there's this、uh, case example of like Volvo with self-driving cars where、uh, it was actually struggling with kangaroos、mm -hmm. jumping across the road. Yeah, and I think we're starting to realize that you know machine learning is a great tool. It's like、um, you know you can do computer vision stuff very neat.、Uh, you can do、uh, entity detection. I mean, all these amazing things. But there's still these bigger questions that we need to answer,、mm -hmm. and you know to use. A very coarse term. I think it's machine learning is very good at kind of the little mind、um, aspects, like kind of the things like you know, if I ask a support agent a question, here's the article that you should、mm -hmm. look at, like very little mind stuff. But we're not finding a lot of the big mind stuff. So like.、Um, You know ethical dilemmas and and kind of these other like human centered things. So、yeah. I feel like we're starting to to go in that direction towards like you know ethics and and all of that.、Mm -hmm. And and I also feel like、uh, there's a lot more like human in the loop stuff going、right. on where it's like you know machine learning is really good at this, but humans are still good at this aspect, kind of more of the the ethical oracle, I guess you could call it.、Mm -hmm. um, So I feel like we're just kind of like entering into a whole new,、uh, you know, AI-assisted type stuff.、Mm -hmm. um, I'm 
kind of not in the camp of believing that, you know, AI is going to take over the world and like, you know, we're, we're all in some simulation <laughs> kind of stuff. Um, but I could see what people are talking about, but mm -hmm. then it's also kind of like, I feel like we have a long ways to go until we get to that. Yeah. Um, but, but I feel like, you know, we're, we're making good progress, you know, ethics, um, ethics being a huge one. Yeah. Uh, Cause I, I, I think that, you know, as we point machine learning at more and more things, we start mm -hmm. to realize that, oh, shoot, like, you know, this is uncovering some variables that are really kind of icky, mm -hmm. you know. Um, it's like whether you're, I think a good example is um, the, like, computational policing where it's like you're sending police to, uh, you know, in neighborhoods where there's a lot of diversity. And it's just like that. that's not okay, yeah. <laughs> you know. So I, I think... It's good. Yeah, we're, we're, we're kind of maturing, you mm -hmm. know, so, yeah. Yeah, and for data scientists who want to prepare for the future, uh, what's your advice for them? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, honestly, like reading about ethics is actually very helpful to mm -hmm. me personally. Um, so, you know, a, there's, there's quite a few examples. So you can read about Belmont Report. And so these are old school like reports that were done about ethical research and um, IRB is, it, I don't even actually know what that stands for, but um, <clears throat> basically like, you know, learning more about like what is ethical and what is not ethical. I think it is actually a useful use of somebody's time. Mm -hmm. um, I think learning about explainability in AI is also very useful. So yeah. um, there's new models coming out. So I, I talked about explainable boosting machines. Uh, that's an explainable AI solution. But there's also like SHAP and mm -hmm. Lime and yeah. um, other other things out there. So mm -hmm. feature importance is a big like right. thing. Mm -hmm. I think that that's really big. Um, yeah, I, I feel like it's we're kind of at this stage where we need to explain what we've been able to accomplish yeah. uh, and and do it in a way that's not um, hand wavy, mm -hmm. if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Because sometimes we don't know whether it's just our model get lucky or, you know, is there really some signal? Yeah, I mean, right. It's just like, what do they say? Like a, a broken clock is right twice mm -hmm. a day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, uh, are we building broken clocks or are mm -hmm. we actually building a clock? Right. Uh, and, and, and I think... Um, there's also other aspects of, you know, the whole black swan idea of, mm -hmm. you know, really machine learning is an inductive science. And what happens if we start seeing black swans everywhere? Uh, is this going to work? Hmm, maybe, maybe not. Um, and I think, you know, learning more about that kind of stuff and, you know, how to uh, how to deal with it. Yeah. You know? So, mm -hmm. yeah. And before we wrap up, what is something you currently working on and what is something you're excited about in the future? As I said before, I've been working at a startup, uh, Zeitworks. Um, and, you know, the, what I've been working on there, uh, I, I really like working on product stuff. So mm -hmm. um, I, I've been, you know, focused on like building a, a product and a startup. And uh, I think what we've been working on there is interesting of, you know, we're, we're kind of trying to build like this human in the loop type tool. Mm -hmm. um, and... A human in the loop tool and also like trying to demystify like what a business process is yeah. so knowledge work is hard you know if you if you strapped a sensor onto my machine and tried to watch me work i don't know if that a machine learning model could figure it out mm -hmm. uh and i think that's a really interesting problem to figure out um 
you know, what is predictable in terms of, you know, people working in offices and what is not predictable. And, uh, that's kind of what Zeitworks has been focused on. Uh, so I'm very excited about that. Um, and you know, it's, I honestly like, yeah, that's been my big thing. Uh, I, I think other than that, like I just been being a father, you know, so like, I, yeah, I spent a lot of time with my two year old, like Mm -hmm. going on hikes and stuff. So like, that's kind of my big thing is just like trying to, trying to chill out and relax with my kid. You know, I observe a color shift when you talk about your daughter. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I also like uh, working, I, I do some, you know, presentations once in a while mm-hmm. with like O'Reilly and uh, I've got a interactive course coming out and I do little things here and there, you know, um, I really truly love to teach data yeah. science and machine learning mm-hmm. um, because I like it when, I, I love that time when somebody figures something out and that light bulb goes yeah. off. It's just such an incredible experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those are kind of the things that I'm super excited about yeah that's awesome and for listeners who want to uh, you know find your work or reach out to you invite you to speak how can they find you yeah uh so i um you're, you're welcome to go to my website I, i'm redoing it uh so there's not really much there right mm-hmm. now uh it's yeah. matthewkirk.com uh i also have another website that's a little bit older yourchiefscientist.com um honestly for anybody who's watching this you feel free to send me an email it's totally fine um you know i i'm a i'm a person like anybody else and i do respond to emails (laughs) um you know they're welcome to connect with me on linkedin too Mm -hmm. um but i i don't do as much linkedin as you do Uh, (laughs) i'm kind of more of an email guy i'm like old school that Mm -hmm. way i guess um but yeah you can send me an email uh it's just it's just matt at Mm matthewkirk.com uh and but yeah, I'm I'm hoping to do more stuff on my website. I just uh, I just kind of paved it all, and I'm going to start right. over, you know, because it's uh, I think it's it's my it's my life. His um, it's kind of been my life is to kind of just start over and keep trying new stuff out. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for sharing your journey with us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This has really been a pleasure. So yeah, seriously, thank you. <laughs>